Well, Mike, we did it. We're through the first episode hump. We're on episode two now. I got a new mic. No more, uh, I, got a, I got a pop filter. No more of those pesky peas and uh, bothersome bees. I'm recording at my own home instead of uh, hiding in your basement like I was doing last time. How you feeling? Oh, are you talking to me? I, I thought you got a new mic. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very strong start. I'm feeling really well. How are you doing? Aside from, I mean, I know you missed the basement, but... I do miss the basement. It was nice down there. It was, uh, I'm, you know, I kind of am a, a hot-blooded person by nature. And so uh, I, I run hot is what I'm saying. And so it was nice and cool down there for me. I got to kind of, uh, uh, I could uh, just relax. Um, but it is also nice to not be in the basement anymore. You know? I enjoy not being in the basement. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the cool light of day now that you get to enjoy. Um, yeah, well, definitely not doing that. Definitely oh. still inside. Yeah, no, come on. Not crazy person. But I was thinking about what our show needs, and I think we need something up top, like a sort of like a catchphrase to sort of, uh, I don't know, we, we, uh, we, we don't really have anything uh, marketable, nothing we can put on a t-shirt, you know, nothing like that. So I, I, I thought of something, and uh, I'm going to say this, and then you say it back to me, right? And that'll be kind of our thing. Okay. Greetings, fellow gamer. I see you. Greetings, fellow gamer. I see you. There we go. Now we're rolling. What are we talking about today? Uh, Dead Cells, right? Dead Cells, the video game. Yes, we are. And we have a special friend with us today. Uh, his name is Billy, and he makes video games. Hi, Billy. Hello. Uh, first Welcome. question I have... Oh, sorry, Mike. I I'm, stepped on you. Yeah, I just wanted to greet Billy, Roman. Yeah, that's my bad. I'm <laughs> still still working out the kinks. Uh, Billy, first question I have for you. Can I call you Billtown? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. May I also call you Billtown? Yeah, I yeah I go by Bill mostly in my life, so Billtown is a pretty good uh, uh, replacement for that. Could I maybe just call you Billy instead? I will let you because you knew me before I started going by Bill. Okay, I um, could call so you Bill if you want, but no, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, uh, I think I like Billy more than Billtown. Do what do what you want. Oh, okay, I'm gonna call you Bill. Billy. All right. Shit. Do whatever. Honest, honestly, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> keep, keep it simple. Cool. Keep it, keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> you, I, you honestly, I honestly don't care. When I meet new people, like they, I introduce myself as Bill. But uh, the old people who knew me when I was going by Billy, they're all good. You can, you can Before you got on. that sweet new haircut. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. When, when I go out into public and I introduce myself, I, I say to everybody that my name is John, but my friends call me Mike and it gets them real confused. That's the best way to introduce yourself with confusion. I just tell people they can like spit on me or, you know, kind of shove me into a locker or whatever, sort of whatever's easier for them. Getting yeah. straight to the submissive side. Yeah. Are you around a lot of lockers? Well, I mean, I hang out with a lot of teens. Oh, okay. Uh, so, Billy, you make video games. Yes. That's so, that's so sick. Oh, shit, uh, Mike, I already messed up. Ready? Uh, sorry, Billy. Yes. Greetings, gamer. I see you. I see you. Mm. I don't. Greetings. I don't personally identify as a gamer, with a capital G. So I'm what? just gonna say I see you. He hey, sees Mike, us. Mike, do we need to talk about this for a second? Talk about the non-gamer amongst us. Yeah. No, no, no. I like playing games. I just don't. You know, I I don't go around throwing the G word around. <laughs> what uh, gatekeeping? 
<laughs> we can work with that. Um, but where I was going with that was, um, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to think of like the, you know, this is a new show, obviously we, Mike and I are taking it pretty seriously. We want to kind of build it into something yeah. and I'd really love to get Reggie fils on the pod. Yes. Is there Billy. anything you can do? Uh, I don't, he's a coworker basically. This is your quest. Bring us Reggie fils Yeah. No. Um, so, so when you say that I, I make games, that's pretty, uh, it seems like it's doing more than what I actually do, right? Like I, I've released a couple games on a little game engine called Pico 8, which is like a, a fantasy console. Uh, so I have a couple of things that I've released on there. I recently made a game called Cadaver Dogs um, that Roman, I've sent to Roman and a couple people, and I'm, I'm working with a couple other people right now to build that out into like a full-blown release at this point so uh we'll see where that goes it's very exciting yeah that's cool though yeah. man that's that's awesome yeah thanks so fizeme fizeme when i get when i get to him i'll slip him your number awesome awesome that's, that's so that's sick all, dude that's all we could ask for really thank you, you know we, we, we would love if you could personally bring him to us but like you know we'll, we'll settle with what we can get <laughs> oh when maybe get... you know uh maybe careful <laughs> what? You know, it could just be over skype or something <laughs> you don't need to oh that's right yes you don't need to fetch reggie there's a pandemic when i get access you get access how about that oh that's so sweet thanks so much man i really appreciate thanks, that yeah yeah of course billy will not forget us when he rises to the top he yeah. just immediately forgets us <laughs> <laughs> just, it happens overnight we're so, talking today about dead cells uh can I, and, and oh, sorry can i interject for one second uh, dude you, i'd be insulted if you didn't you focus pretty heavily on, you know, creating your, your tag uh, yeah. for like, but you haven't said what the name of the podcast is yet. Uh, That's true. This guy's a pro. Folks, welcome to Surprise Mechanics, the only podcast about video. <laughs> Shit. I'm video so bad games? at this. Video games. Folks, it's <laughs> surprise. <laughs> video um, games are a special kind of video game that is developed by our only Bill. You're taking, right. you said you were taking this pretty seriously. Yeah, let's reset. None of this is in the episode. <laughs> I mean, uh, folks, stay. I don't care. <laughs> no, no, no. None of this. This is all going to be cut. I'm going to hand it over to my editor. He'll cut all this out. Don't worry about oh, it. Okay. Uh, folks, welcome to Surprise Mechanics, the only podcast about video games. And we're talking about Dead Cells. And in Dead Cells, you play as a demonic flubber who possesses a decapitated body or maybe a suit of armor. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. And you have to fight your way out of the prison in which you are kept. At certain bench parks, you're able to invest currency to strengthening flubber and his new body. And uh, which will lead to permanent increases in your attack or health or what have you for your next run before you die. And you will die a lot. That's kind of the whole point of the game. Uh, a wide variety of weapons allow for different strategies so players can find the best way through the dungeons. Uh, spoilers, it's the turrets. Just use the turrets. Mm -hmm. And it blends Metroidvania and roguelike elements into an experience that I think is fair to say is, is unique but also feels familiar. And I want to talk about the roguelike element just for a second because that term can kind of mean a lot of things and what it mostly means mm -hmm. in dead cells is procedural generated levels and permadeath mm -hmm. did i miss anything uh no so if you're if you're going off of you guys want a little educational lesson if you're going Always. off of the berlin interpretation of what a roguelike is dead cells does not meet the the criteria basically at all right so the the a bunch of nerds got together in Germany one time and they said this is what a roguelike is, uh, and there's like rules to it, 
So like it has to be procedurally generated. You have to have permadeath, those two things we have in dead cells, but you also have, you know, has to be turn-based, has to have ASCII uh, visuals and graphics. Um, and there's a couple other elements to it that like fit the mold of what a roguelike is. So uh, just so you guys know, you might get some angry people out on the internet being like, it's not a roguelike. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think gamers are... their fingers. I don't think they're, they're not... typically an angry folk. They're, um, they're quite quite that. kind usually. Yeah. Um, however, that is that is intriguing to me though. There's a a very rigid set of rules for what defines a roguelike game. Yeah, it's kind of neat. I didn't know that. Yeah, and and you know, I I think the term is kind of lost its meaning when it comes to like those strict rules. Like I like the term roguelike. I I play a lot of rogue. I guess they'd be called rogue lights. Hmm. Um. So I'm very familiar with all all of this discourse, I guess, around the the genre. Yeah, have you played Hades yet? I have not. Um, it's on my list of games to play, just like Dead Cells was back in whenever it came out, 2018. 18, yeah. Um. So yeah, no, Hades is on my list, but currently I'm stuck in the the trenches of Spelunky two. <laughs> nice. Well, I also really want to get to Hades, so maybe uh, you know, maybe we could have you back on to talk about that down the line if Sounds if we great. if we like it enough to. But yeah. I think we will. I've heard that it's pretty universally beloved, so I, I I've heard it's great. Time. My buddy John's been playing it a lot and we share a lot of the same taste, so it should be good. Nice. I have not actually heard of Hades before, so is that another roguelike game? Uh yeah, I, it is. So Yeah, I, I was going to say yes, but I didn't I don't know now. <laughs> so, so it probably falls into you know this this if you're being like a purist it falls into like the roguelite realm and and all these roguelites can really probably be called like spelunky likes where like mm -hmm. spelunky takes spelunky the original spelunky like spelunky classic that came out in 2008 takes the things that you see in a lot of these roguelite games that have come out in the last 10 years right the permadeath and procedural generation um and added it into, you know, like a, a, a modern platformer game, right? And the the idea is that the roguelikes that have come out that we're talking about, like Hades or Dead Cells or, you know, The Binding of Isaac, are really inspired more by Spelunky than they're inspired by uh, Rogue itself. So they, they carry that permadeath and procedurally generated yeah. uh, aspects with them, but not the other pieces. Because I, exactly. I met, like, art style with ASCII uh, art would be, like, not very appealing on a modern console or to most gamers i imagine yeah yeah it depends who you are you know it, it's a it's definitely an acquired taste and to be fair like there are some really good or some really like nice looking rogue like true roguelikes right so like um i don't know if you guys have ever seen what rogue looks like but it's, it's literally just like black screen white text mm -hmm. all the characters you can find on the keyboard right but there are games like uh, like Brogue, which is it takes Rogue and it essentially builds it into like a more robust experience. Still has ASCII art, but it has color and it has you know um, certain visual effects that it that it adds to it. Or you take uh, what's the game called? It's called Agatha in Absentia. It's a, a a game that you can get on itch.io and it's like really jiggly and really juicy and it still has that ASCII quote unquote art. Um, but it like makes it really full and and uh, nice to look at, right? So you can so still there, there is like a variety of um, 
like art style within that medium then yes but i would say it's like it's hyper niche okay right like it's it's a it's a niche within a niche <laughs> that's a um, that's an interesting place to be yeah yeah. <laughs> so, yeah i don't know i'm sorry we're getting in the weeds i'm, I'm like what a roguelike is um for our purposes right we could probably just say like hades is, is a roguelike just very similar to uh dead cells well i would say that that that, that distinction is kind of interesting like the, the history there and and where like the lineage of these mechanics really come from mm-hmm. yeah and and like you said at the top billy the the term has kind of lost its meaning because yeah. i hear that assigned to so many different games mm-hmm. uh that just might have like permadeath and then people be like oh it's a roguelike um and that's why yeah. i wanted to kind of say when we when we use that term with dead cells we're referring specifically to permadeath and uh, procedural generation but mike you should definitely look into hades because i've heard nothing but good things i will um, do that and i know f- for sure i'll be getting it eventually it's interesting too that like the the term has been diluted a little bit because I feel like the same thing has happened or will happen respectively to Metroidvania and Souls like. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say uh, Souls like too because those are two big like game descripting terms that mm-hmm. are are used much farther beyond the the scope of where they originally came from, and I imagine that that'll happen again and. There will probably be some like there'll be a game down the way that uh, changes or is different mm-hmm. from that, but then it'll now be like this is the new like, and it used to be Souls like, and then it used to be Metroidvania, yeah. and so on. Souls like is going to be just any game that's hard. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Super and, Mario Sunshine is my favorite Souls like. <laughs> and and I mean even even Dead Cells, you know, has Souls like elements to it. Yeah, because um, I because it pisses me off. well i mean you got you get the parry and then you have like that bloodborne mechanic where if you get damaged you can you can attack and regain Mm -hmm. some of that health right Mm -hmm. um the enemies all have very you know uh obvious attack animations where they like will rear back and give you that instant to either dodge or block or do whatever and then attack right so even right as we're discussing you know what does roguelike mean Mm -hmm. and we're talking about souls likes uh we're already blending the two in in this game that we're talking about now yeah um, I, I i play quite a bit of uh the dark souls and, and and bloodborne like i i kind of fell down the from software rabbit hole a while back and that is one of the first things i picked up about dead cells was mm-hmm. and and just the the you know talk around the game was very much uh calling back to dark souls and and that structure um, so that was one of the first things I felt evoked from it. Yeah. 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 Well, let's get into it then. Uh, let's get into the suite. All right, let's start. I'll get us started just with one that I think is, is pretty basic. Um, this game handles extremely well. Mm-hmm. Yes. I yes. feel like there's been a trend of, uh, in, uh, games that, borrow old school aesthetics but use modern game design mm-hmm. and this i feel like you see it most in the way the game handles in the combat because it it's very fluid and very easy to control mm-hmm. yeah I, I can't agree more that's the biggest pro for me is it just feels it feels right it feels great um even like 
uh, no, when you guys asked me to, to, to do this, I, I started picking it up again and I, w- I would do a couple runs uh, to kind of refresh the memory and it immediately all came back, right? Like immediately it's super fluid. All the controls work exactly how I expect them to work. And it just feels great to run around as this weird headless man to killing whatever we're killing. Yeah, same. I, I hadn't touched this game in, in a long time and I was impressed with how much the muscle memory just stuck with me. Yes. Yeah. This game, it also does a very good job of making you feel incredibly powerful before killing you in an instant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it you, that. you run yeah. around and, and because the combat's so good and you're you you're just mowing down enemies, but uh, it's a constant lesson in humility because the second you make one little mistake, you are the glassiest of glass cannons and mm-hmm. you'll just get eviscerated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played it for the first time uh, about a week or two ago um, in preparation for this. And I, 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 I was anticipating a little bit more of that early Dark Souls grind because how it was compared often to a Souls game. And I was very shocked that I am just like, I feel like I should be doing less damage. I feel like I should be uh, like, like having difficulty getting through this more than I am. And then I got through like those first few levels. You're absolutely right. The com like the, just the movement of everything is so, so tight and responsive that you, you don't really walk through a level. You glide and like swing Mm -hmm. your sword and everything through the level. Um, you mostly and then mostly roll and then yeah and then i hit the brick wall that was that like oh i i goofed and now i am dead and i must start again (laughs) but that like period that brief like five minutes of that first attempt was uh it, it was i i just feel absolutely more badass than i did at the beginning of a dark souls game because i was just destroying everything yeah, and and you're gonna hit that wall about four hundred times, of just immediately dying. And one thing I did appreciate about this game is it never makes you feel bad for that because that is such an important part of the design. Is uh, you just constantly eating it and then restarting? Yeah. Because like I mentioned at the top, there is opportunity at certain uh, checkpoints in the game to invest your your cells that you collect from enemies into permanent upgrades Mm -hmm. but it i it wouldn't be impossible for someone to beat it on the first run theoretically Uh, i would pay money to see it though this is foreshadowing for the second part of the segment that i have prepared uh that is a, a a sour in my book that you can't be i don't think you really can beat the game on the first first try okay uh and that, but but we can we can go deeper into that later. Um, I do think the the controls are great. There, there's a sense of fairness to the game too. Like when I'm when I get blasted, I don't really feel like it's cheap. You know, I feel like oh I I should have known that that guy was gonna swing at me or you know. Um, so I, I I do feel like you know the the best part about it is it feels great and I don't feel like I'm fighting an unfair battle if that makes sense despite how hard it is. And despite you, you are <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I, to your point though, that is a strength. If you can make a game, I, I, you know, I think video games by nature are always, uh, tilted in against the player. Cause that's part of the fun, right? As you overcome yeah. that challenge, or at least a game like this, I should say, 
and if you can play that and know you're fighting an uphill battle but still have fun doing it, I think that mm -hmm. is an accomplishment. The gameplay itself is really satisfying. It's it's kind of hard to have a bad time playing with it, even, uh, you know, getting through a few levels, dying, and then starting over. Uh, what I noticed initially is how quickly you start back up again and how quickly you can really get through those uh, initial stages of the game. Because um, I think one of the coolest parts of Dead Cells is um, something that ties back into what the game really wants you to do or challenges you to do as, a, as an option is to speed through, get, get through that first stage as quickly as possible, get through the second stage as quickly as you can in order to unlock doors uh, for special rewards. And then the kill counter. If you can maintain a kill streak without taking a hit, then there are additional bonuses that you can receive. Through my time playing Dead Cells, I think I got, and I've never gotten the time uh, trial award, but uh, I did manage to get a few uh, kill streaks, which um, I, I kind of changed my perspective of the game where if you just want to play it, you can play it however you wish, but my mode was don't get hit at all. I want to try to get that extra re reward at the end of the stage. And I thought that added a whole new level of fun to it, just having mm -hmm. that optional challenge um, that isn't a roadblock to anything. It's all self-imposed. I actually had the opposite. I got through some of the time doors. I never got through a kill streak door. And I think in my case, it was because to every time I got through a time door, it's because I made the decision to stop doing as much combat and just try to run yeah. and find the exit. Yeah, so I I had the same experience. Uh, I've gotten more time doors than I have kill. I think I got one kill streak door before we started recording. I played a run and I got a kill streak door. Um, it it's I like the idea of of the those mechanics, right? Because it, it allows you to play you know, different play styles and, and be rewarded for that. But conversely, if you go the way that you were talking, Rogan, right? And you're just like, I found myself doing the same thing. I wanted to see if I could get the time trial door. So I just, I ran by everybody, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of, to me at least, and, and this is 100% my opinion, kind of converse to what I thought was so fun about the game, which is running around and killing stuff. And like, I'm finding like, oh, I get all this sweet loot if I make this time trial but i can't seem to make the time trial if i'm spending the time killing so i was just like i'm running past the green dudes i'm running past the pink grenaders i'm just running 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 not killing anything and then i would get like i don't i don't know if it's a spoiler to say but you know like 20 cells in a in a high level weapon right yeah. so we, we can do spoilers I, by the way we're not gonna okay. you know yeah i mean to be fair i've i've only beaten the what i think is the final i've only been to what i think is the final boss one time so i can't really say that i can spoil much mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah this is one of those games that uh similar to diablo um or diablo depending on how you want to say it i don't say it like either of those ways but okay Freak. yeah me either <laughs> um duablo yeah there you um, go yeah 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 um, in, in, in Diablo, you have, uh, each time you beat the game, the difficulty goes up and dark souls too. the similar, you know, every time you beat the game, you mm -hmm. can do like a new game plus and carry on and it's more difficult. Isn't there uh, a function where like that difficulty increases and you have to beat the game like the, what you think is the, the end of the game so many times to get to the actual final boss? 
Yeah, so I've never experienced it myself, but in my research about dead cells prior to this, uh, there's there's a way that once you beat the final boss, you get essentially what's a, a credit, right? It's It's a cell because it's dead cells, but it's like a boss cell every time you beat the canonical final boss and you can use that at the beginning of runs to like plug it into one of those test tubes at the prison quarters mm. and oh, it gives okay. you essentially like a new game plus run where all the enemies are stronger you know there are more of them etc cetera, etc cetera. so that is one thing that i do like i think is is a good plus about this game is it gives you a lot of different you know methods of play and you can really pick and choose how you want to go about it and that that even you know ties into you know the amount of weapons that you get the amount of upgrades that there are there's there's a ton of content and there's a ton of stuff that you can choose to interface with if you want to um but not all of it is kind of forced forced on you yeah i actually just have a question i want to pose to you both uh on that note did you find yourselves experimenting with different strategies or just kind of uh finding one that worked and sticking with it I primarily found weapons that I liked the most, and if I could find them, I'd keep them. Mm -hmm. um, but I never really opted to attempt a speed run of the game, so I never went for the speed doors. I mostly just attempted the same kill streak doors, and then if I happened to get hit, then I carried on with my run because of the nature of the permadeath and the, the changing environment and being sent all the way back to the beginning. My primary goal was to get as far into the game as I could. <laughs> Before. And the, 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 the other pieces, of course, were added bonuses uh, that were optional. Sure. How about you, Billy? Did you Would you experiment with different weapons? Weapons, yes. So, basically, I, w I would be using whatever loadout i had right and then if i got a, a weapon that was better i immediately would swap it out no matter what okay um that i would experiment with and and often to my detriment right uh i like every once in a while i'd find myself playing and i would have like a really like a synergistic run right where i'd have like the the oil blades and then like i'd have like something that caught it all on fire right um, and then I would get a better weapon and I would, I would, my brain would go, that's better. Pick it up right now, <laughs> you know, and I would ruin, I would ruin my, my synergistic run, which is totally on me. So I was, I did experiment a lot when I got new items where I didn't experiment was the, the mutations that you get after every level. I would pick, I probably pick the same mutations every single time. I, I, I kind of felt like those were, um, like they, they they didn't really change, and it kind of felt like the 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 best ones to take were, you know, whatever your routine was. Mm -hmm. It kind of felt like the the place to experiment was really with your weapons, and as long like mm -hmm. if that DPS counter is higher, then you might as well take it. Exactly. Yeah, and that's where I. That's kind of exactly what I did. What I think might have helped with that mutation problem that we're talking about, and maybe you know, this wouldn't help. But Maybe we Billy, else, just tell everyone what those are real quick in case anyone has no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you you play a level, you go from point A to point B, and then there's like an uh, how would you describe it? Like the in between levels, right? There's like a, a yeah, safe basically zone. a checkpoint. Yeah, yeah, a checkpoint area where you go and you deposit your your cells if you want, and then you have a chance to kind of have a passive upgrade to your player. So, uh, 
you can choose between the three different like um tiers or categories of mutation so you have your was it brutality which is like your melee combat tactics which is your ranged combat and then survival which is like defensive kind of stuff mm-hmm. um and they all give you unique different passive upgrades so um, the ones that I would pick often are uh, like brutality, I think, which is like you get a DPS increase after you kill an enemy. Um, and then there's one in purple, which is like you get plus n amount of DPS when you're by deployed skill, right? So like my most successful runs where I had like the double crossbow and or I had like the sinew slicer, and I would deploy my my active trap items. Right, and then I would just slice everything up with crazy high DPS. I felt that was the way to go too, because the like the instant upgrade to DPS, like I I never really played defensive, and and as Roman said, this is really like you are a glass cannon. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much more survival abilities turn you into more of a tank. So um, it it felt to me as if if I can increase my damage output, whether it's brutality or tactics then I can just dispatch with all the threats before they are a threat. And then survivability is kind of mutt. I don't really, I never really used the shield in that game. Yeah, same. I did occasionally, and I, I was purple all the way, which is essentially the mm-hmm. uh, the, the zoner uh, skill tree. And they do kind of something clever where there's like scrolls you can pick up in the levels. Yeah. Where they give you, if you have one of those mutations of a certain uh, skill tree equipped, it increases that, makes it a little stronger. As well as just increases your base HP. Yeah. But I thought it was clever how, because like even if I didn't have any green equipped, uh, at a certain point you kind of get diminishing returns on mm-hmm. the scrolls because after you pick up you know three or four red ones, the amount of HP you get for like permanent HP increase for picking up that scroll is lessened. So mm-hmm. you're still encouraged to invest in the green skill tree if nothing else because you might get a sixty percent increase in your hp yeah the best runs i had when i finally died i ended up with maybe like between 10 to 12 in red and purple and then like three or four in green just for that hp bump yeah and even even like if you do it that way right so i'd find myself investing heavily in in red and purple at the beginning because those were just the, those tend to be the types of weapons i like liked to use um you know even if i'm mainline in red power scrolls right and you get your health up you know a significant chunk you doing just that and then you add one green power scroll it adds 70 percent of your health like it increases yeah. your health plus 70 percent and and i agree with you roman 100 that that diminishing health versus you know i could get 12 percent max hp if i want to keep going with with the purple tactics uh you know category or i can get a 70 percent of like my 1200 hp bar like right now just to go for for green i think that's a good way of trying to encourage people to to pick ones that aren't you know in their current build if you can call it that one of the things i thought on the game itself as i would like to put in the suite is the presentation um visually the game is gorgeous and like that that retro uh pixel look and then it has it looks like they had like the character models were 3D, but mm-hmm. on a 2D plane. Mm-hmm. Um, they all looked absolutely wonderful. Animations were nice and smooth, and it felt 
snappy and quick. And then there were some little things with the story from from what I was able to gather that were really cool. Like there's a, a character in the prison quarters and you first see here and it kind of sets up that whole nature of the permadeath uh, mechanic. And then after I think I died two or three times, uh, she shows up at one of the doors at the end of the prison quarters and is now dead. And then over time, that corpse just decays, and that was like a like a, a piece of presentation and, and and environmental detail that I thought was really rich uh, with just story of this world, and I thought that was quite cool. It's also very funny at points. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the little optional dialogue you can get with the characters is pretty quippy. There's a in the checkpoint zones. There's a um, uh oh what do you like a grindstone where you can reforge your modifiers on your weapons mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't you, know how it works yeah and when you use it the uh the guy next to you says like i don't really know how you can reforge a grenade or a bow and arrow with that and your <laughs> character shrugs and replies yeah it's kind of slipshod game design <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that is uh it was pretty funny which i i liked because that is kind of what said it apart from something like uh, Dark Souls, where Dark Souls obviously has like a a very dark aesthetic. It very, is like, far yeah. more bleak in right. Dark Souls or Bloodborne than Dead Cells. Dead Cells yes. has this kind of humorous edge to it that um, you know makes light of some of the the darkness in it, and uh, you can even see that in some of the lower rooms too. I I, I don't know if you turn those off. There's an option to have them on or off, and they randomly appear in your playthrough. Um, but there are some rooms where your timer stops, and there is it's like a cell or uh, an office quarters, and it gives you a little bit of insight to what's going on. And sometimes the player character had a little quip for something they discovered in one of those rooms, and that was also humorous. But then it gives you a little bit more context on this world around you, which I thought was really welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Billy, anything you want to add? Uh, no. Uh, I've hit all my points. I love the way the game feels and controls. Sense cool. of fairness. And, uh, oh, I think the enemy design, in terms of, like, the mechanics of the enemies, they all play very well into one another, right? They're, they all do very different things, and I thought that was a really cool, or just a very nice, you know, thing to have, where because the enemies interact differently, it like you have to kind of prioritize which ones you want to go after first, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the second level, that's that's the most clear with those weird, uh, like I don't know how to describe them. They're like the wooden dummies. Oh, they provide um, oh yeah shields Scarecrows. to enemies in the area, and you have to target exactly. the dummy first. Exactly. Yeah. So I think like the the enemy design. That's the easiest you know example that I can point out. But they they're doing that constantly, right? With the the shielded um, zombie guys who, you know, kind of uh, you have to attack from behind with the archers and the grenaders that can throw grenades through walls, right? You have to make sure that you can can um, analyze, you know, your situation before going in in order to, to successfully, you know, take down everybody. Yeah, I have a bone to pick with those purple shield jo- zombies for how many times <laughs> I, I accidentally rolled into one of them because... <laughs> One of the things about this game that really does harken back to Dark Souls is when you're in a one-on-one confrontation, it's pretty much 
like game set, you're going to win it. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you do something magnificently stupid or, you know, goof, it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you get into an area with a lot of enemies and then it becomes so much more uh, involved. And now it's who do I target first? How do I kite around everybody if I get stuck and everybody comes down to me? Um, and then, like, hopefully, just hopefully, there is not a shield dummy in, amongst them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there have been many an- or many runs ended by a large area with many enemies and a shield dummy. And there are these uh, red skeleton-looking guys that teleport to whichever thing you're on once you get their attention. Mm-hmm. And I I have uh, quite a few runs that ended with me trying to take out the dummy while also being uh, chased by five different things. It's exhilarating. <laughs> yeah, one the way I found best to deal with those is eventually I unlocked uh, an ability that um, basically I could throw down a bunch of buzz saws on the ground. Mm-hmm. And they just kept spinning. And that's actually what got me through a few boss fights, too. So that was that was real clutch. Those are the real purple, clutch on the, on the boss fights. Yeah. Especially if you get, then get the mutation where every time you roll, you drop some crow's feet. Oh. That's like, I was just basically Sonic, man. I was rolling back and forth and just hurting people. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I want to talk about Motion Twin just for a second. Yes. Motion Twin is a co-op, meaning everyone who works there is paid the same and they all have a vote on how the game is created. So every creative decision that needs to be made with the game you has to be taken by a tally. Um, and of course, there are some uh, challenges that come with that. Um, but just a little bit of background. They were founded, they're a French studio, and they were founded from the ashes of the defunct AAA studio Callisto Entertainment in 2001. So they've been around for a long time, and uh, Motion Twin has basically, if you go to their website, it's all Flash games, essentially. Uh, you can play for free online or download in the App Store, and Dead Cells. <laughs> and so Dead Cells was actually their um, last-ditch effort. They were kind of about to go under because, uh, I, I don't know if it's if French law states, but basically because they are a co-op, because they have that business structure, they are required to pass on almost all of their profits to the employees. So if a game sells well, like Dead Cells did, they have to pass that along, which is a good thing. That's like, you know, the perk of working in a co-op um, is, you know, the, the developers are more fairly rewarded for their work and uh, incentivized to do so, to work harder. Um, but they don't have a war chest of money like a big AAA studio, like Activision or EA has, right? Mm-hmm. So... um they, like I said, they were kind of about to go under, and with Dead Cells, they needed to, they did the math, uh, and they needed to sell 20,000 units after three months. Like, so when the game launched three months later, they had to sell that number to survive and be able to make another game. I'm and sorry, how many that, units did you say? 20,000. Okay. And they hit that in day one. Yeah. Uh, they hit over that in day one. Like, Dead Cells has sold very well. Um, now, a limitation of the co-op is just by nature it can't really scale uh so at one point mm-hmm. i believe i read they had around 20 people and they actually had to kind of uh do some uh, scaling back because it just uh it gets harder to to work within you know when you have 20 plus people and you have to take a vote on everything that gets a little tougher so for uh they they keep their employees the number around 15 
For Dead Cells, I believe they had mostly, it was 11. The team was 11 people through all of development. As for something like Crunch, which, you know, as we know, is like, you know, uh, uh, something people are talking about more now, and it's, it's a problem in the game industry. Um, they kind of took an approach where they did it only when absolutely necessary, because, uh, Billy, I don't know if you have any insight on this, but I feel like with any creative endeavor, especially games, Crunch is going to be unavoidable to a point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, as was the case with Motion Twin, they knew they had to do it, and so what they did is they actually encouraged employees to, like, actually keep track of their hours and basically flex their time, like you would at a lot of other office jobs, you know? I know I could do that at my job. Uh, so basically, if someone had to work late one night, they got to take a half day the next day or whatever. Um, and there yeah. are a lot of stories you can read of Motion Twin, just uh, the higher-ups, just encouraging people to go home. <laughs> like, if someone was, like, burnt out, they would be like, why don't you just take the day off and then come back tomorrow? Because their philosophy was, it is so much easier to fall behind for a few hours one day than lose someone and then, you know, really potentially have a project delayed because you have to hire someone new. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, all that being said, they, they never intended to support Dead Cells for as long as they even have now. Um, like I mentioned, I hadn't touched this game in two years, and when I came back into it, I didn't recognize a lot of stuff. I don't know, if Billy, if you had similar experience, but there was a lot of stuff added that was completely new to me. Yeah, um, I saw some new stuff, but I don't really remember <laughs> what it was like when I first started playing it, to be honest. Sure. Um, I do know that they, they ended up supporting it for a long time, and it, did it come out in, like, version 1.0 in 2018? Or was that when it started Early Access? It came out in 2018. Okay, because I know it was in Early Access for a while. Because I, I had, not to not to be, you know, that guy, but I had heard about Dead Cells prior to its 1.0 release as, like, an Early Access kind of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, po like a, po a very popular Early Access game. <clears throat> um, so I'm not really sure, like, what the release looks like, but, I mean... I've heard the amount of DLC they've they put out for it is is substantial. Right, yeah, because there's um, a massive free one and then also a paid separate pack. Mm -hmm. uh, but, be, you know, they, they never intended to for that to be the case, so I, uh, a lot of the team was reportedly starting to feel really burnt out because, uh, you know, th they were obviously excited that their game did well and they were happy about it, but this is a group of people who... Uh, they didn't sign on necessarily to make one game for, you know, however many years. So uh, Motion Twin actually split into another studio called Evil Empire. And Evil wow. Empire is, is run by uh, Steve Philby, who was the marketing manager of Motion Twin. And mm -hmm. they are not a co-op. Um, so they're going to operate more as a more traditional indie studio. And they've kind of uh, said some stuff that implies, you know, they're working on Dead Cells, of course, but then they're going to kind of go their own way eventually. So that is like a like a proper new studio. And, and that Steve Philby guy, he's actually been pretty vocal about the challenges of running a co-op. And to his credit, though, he always maintains that uh, the challenges of running a co-op are not reason to not do one. So mm -hmm. it is tough. It's a lot of work. But in, in his mind, it seems to be worthwhile. I think he just got a little burnt out just in the reading I was doing about him, which is understandable. Um, you know, it, it does seem like it's it's a great idea, and I, I hope we see more co-ops. The folks behind uh, Night at the Woods here in the U.S. actually just founded one called the Glory Society. So I'm really curious to see what they have, uh, what their next game is. Yeah, if you also look at companies, I think like uh, what used to be Vlambeer, I think they're only two dudes, and they they end up like contracting out, you know, one or two other people to to make their games. They made games like uh, Nuclear Throne and ridiculous fishing and luft rousers um 
I think they follow a similar model, but I think that model does, you know, benefit small teams, right? Mm-hmm. Small teams seem to be the ones who can can maneuver that a little bit easier. Um, I couldn't imagine trying to run, you know, like a 50-person enterprise where everybody gets equal say. You know, I mean, it just seems right. like a logistical nightmare in some ways. Um, but I, I do think that it's like a really cool way of... It, it kind of feels more like being in a band than be working for a game development studio if that makes sense like i I love that analogy being in a band um versus like being an employee or even being a singular artist too yeah i mean that's that's what it feels like to me when we talk about this idea of being in this like i mean obviously you're doing you know you're you're making art you're programming you're doing level design etc it's not like equivalent to you know what constitutes a band but you are creating you know a cohesive piece of art with with collaborators right <clears throat> so that that kind of seems like what this and, and roman correct me if i'm wrong that kind of seems like what i would find very interesting about this co-op experience is is that it's a collaborative process now that's all well and good when like money isn't your primary concern right <laughs> but mm-hmm. if I, like if i was going to start a business and as much as we don't want to imagine this is true you kind of have to analyze you know what does the market dictate is popular you know if you really want to focus on what you think will be financially successful if you want to keep making games right you you do have to do that business dev side of things um and that might not always be super easy when you have you know a complete equal amount of of uh say when it comes to everybody in the whole company right so i really do commend them for being able to make it work and, and getting everyone on the same page because that seems like a a hurdle you know I, I think you're right and i think that's why I, I suspect there is a direct correlation to why steve philby the marketing manager of motion twin was the one who seemed to be the most vocally burnt out mm-hmm. uh, again yeah. not you know he he was really supportive of the uh nature of co-ops and there's a big push right now for uh, more indie studios to try to transition to that model. Yeah. And so whenever he did list the the lumps that come with it, he, I found two or three examples where he did add the caveat, but you should still do it. <laughs> it. It's it's hard work, but it's rewarding. Yeah, I think like we're we're seeing a lot more games that have smaller teams and and indie games are starting to like uh, well, I wouldn't say starting to. I, I have been really taking uh the front of the gaming community by storm. Um, like Undertale and um, a lot of like really inexpensive, sometimes retro styled games just have this uh, uh, small team. And for that, it, it, it seems like it'd be really beneficial to have the band versus, um, you know, the employees and the boss. It kind of makes me wonder if, um, you know, as, as we see hopefully more indie studios pick up, that co-op model um, with with his, you know, uh, warnings on what is difficult with that model, uh, some solutions to those challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I feel like I I have a point that just came to my head, but I feel like it might be like too hair splitty. So if it is just, you know, call me out on it. (laughs) I think that this this idea of like this co-op team have you guys ever heard of the the collective i think they're called sock pop so 
so sock pop is a video game you know collective of i want to say it's three or four guys um and they have a patreon page right and you can pay three dollars a month to their patreon page and you get two video games a month right and and that's it they make whatever they want to make but every two weeks you get a brand new game right and they all get equal split of the of the profits right but they are not focusing on maximizing the money that's coming in does that make sense Mm -hmm. they're they're focusing on you know how can we make as much as we have to make and just make games because we like making games right so we talk about like indie versus triple a even within the indie game development sphere right there are indies quote unquote that are really probably like double a right you look at teams like supergiant who make hades Mm-hmm. or who have made like bastion those are all people who used to work for you know ea and and larger triple a companies but they've bumped down to be independent so they can make what they want but they're doing it in a, a way that mirrors you know traditional triple a game development they, and they're they're following a lot of the same you know um business models and then there's those the element of indie games which is people who are making games because they want to make games and the money is, isn't a part of it and those games by nature are less popular right They're that's more of like the the underground indie scene which is like you look a lot on itch.io where you can find some like really cool hidden gems like really surprisingly high quality you know games that are made by people who no one knows who they are and they're not making any money off of their games you know um so I feel like indie might be a catch-all that doesn't truly fit because there is this whole subsection of what you would call independent games, which is people who are just making shit for fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that exists, you know, in the music scene. There are bands who are out there who are trying to, you know, get a record deal, make it big, you know, sell a, a heck ton of records. And then you have people who are like, I just like to make my music and I do that and it doesn't really follow the money side of things right and i think there's there's a i've lost the thread here but there is like indie is a a, i think a much larger swath than you know the dude who made stardew valley you know or or the people who make uh you know gang beasts or anything you know what i mean um but anyway that's my like weird nerd rant for the episode no i I think that makes (laughs) sense and and to your point too, Billy, sometimes you get just like two guys who are like really cool and punk rock who make a video game podcast or something. I don't know. You know yeah, just, exactly, they... exactly, exactly. Well, I suppose you could draw a straight line between like those, um, you know, more underground indie artists and uh, like the game modding scenes from the 90s, you know, people making their own uh, Doom wads and rom hacks for for games back when everything was still very young uh Mm -hmm. it seems to kind of bloomed out of uh doing mods yeah absolutely and you know as the tools get easier to use you know more and more people are going to get involved and and make what they want to make and i guess this this isn't music not music i'm sorry a video game like for lack of a better word it's kind of a video game industry podcast because there is this element of you know talking about the the working conditions and the the mm-hmm. development processes, so maybe like that conversation is is for a different time and a different place. Um, but I I would say that like I don't think that this co-op 
model is like do you guys think that companies would want to adopt this and forego their you know current tried and true this is what we've always done you know like what's the benefit for a company take Supergiant, right if they are not already in this co-op model because i can't necessarily say for sure that they aren't you know what what is the incentive for them to do so in in your eyes i you know what i i think i might agree with the point I, I don't know if this is what you're getting at but to answer your question of if you can convert people i don't really know if you can the only mm-hmm. instance i know of where that happens is uh the again the uh, people who made night in the woods mm-hmm. they founded their own company and they chose to make it a co-op um i definitely don't think you're ever going to get like like bobby Kotick is not interested in <laughs> making mm-hmm. his uh you know activision a, a co-op yeah i think the just pure speculation, because again, I don't know anything, you know, we, we want to be careful, because uh, I don't know anything about making video games, I, you know, I don't know what that, uh, the the actual labor that comes into it, but I would think on just a fundamental level, perhaps what a co-op has going for it, more so than a uh, more typical business model, is you could harvest uh, more uh, a more passionate workforce, if, mm-hmm. if you are trying to hire Maybe people who don't uh, have as much experience, but have the talent and the drive, you can kind of harness that and and you yeah. know, say this is you know this is your project. Like you were saying, it's 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 your band. It's not just you don't just mm-hmm. work for this company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a say here. Um, outside of that, though, I don't I don't really think I I I don't really necessarily think a a, a tried and true company who already has a, a thing that works for them yeah. is going to want to. And you know, I don't also don't you know. Like, I don't want to try to imply that I think, like, be, being a co-op is the only way to do it. Like, uh, No, and, like, and I'm not trying to say that. I guess what I'm – what uh, hearing you speak, what, what I'm getting at here is, like, I what I like about Dead Cells is it proves that it's a method that can work, right? Mm-hmm. And for people who are coming up and starting, you know, it's it's an option that you can follow this this kind of model and, and, and have success, right? I can make a game with, with five people who are my friends – you know, and we don't have to have this weird strict corporate structure because that's boring. <laughs> you know, it's it's mm-hmm. like who who wants to have that, right? So if you can make it work in that way, I mean, I think that's great. And I think that this is a good way of kind of showing everyone that you can do it in this, you know, equal way where you all have buy-in and, um, you know, you're trusting the people on your team that they're smart enough to get it done. I think that gives a lot of people uh, a lot of confidence and it pr- produces, like you said, a better quality work. If you say, hey, I do it, I trust what you're going to do, like I know it's going to be cool, I think a lot of people respond positively positively to that. So I think it's a great way of, you know, organizing. Yeah, I think uh, smaller game developers would definitely take a look at that as an op- option uh, if they want to get into that as being, you know, their business. The barriers of entry are really more malleable than what we might initially believe and dead cells is really proof of that, that a co-op can make that work. Um, so I, I, I'd see there's potential to see more, uh, smaller studios pop up with that model. And then, uh, maybe they will come up with solutions to the challenges to scaling it up though. At a certain extent, depending on the project, I, I, I figure it may not be a corporate, hierarchy but some kind of leadership 
uh, level with uh, larger projects and larger groups. Because like, if you look at, um, you know, a band versus uh, uh, making music versus somebody making a film and you have a director in that director's seat, um, there's a clear vision that kind of carries everything mm-hmm. through, even if everybody gets paid the same or has a, uh, a stake uh, in that project all the way through. So um, that is one of the, the balances, I think, between um, having this kind of uh, a group of people making a game. Maybe everybody has that input on the final uh, output. And then, um, you know, larger projects that may have some more uh, of that, you know, I'm in the director's chair and my vision is kind of driving things, but everybody here is still treated as like, I don't want to say for lack of a better term, but equals, you know, like everybody still has that, um, that co-op feel, even though um, I'm the producer of the project. Yeah. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily exclude like excluded through this co-op you know uh model right is is everyone has the same pay right everyone has the same percentage owns the same percentage of the game but you know my job just might be i'm the you know creative lead right um so i I do think you know having everyone else's buy-in is probably crucial to making that work and i think that probably just boils down to having the right team right I think leadership is a major factor in that because if you have, I mean, um, if you're, if you're the person who is carrying the vision of this, this game, uh, falters, then, you know, maybe everything falls apart because, you know, if the leadership at the top, uh, isn't an equal support of the, the, uh, you know, the people, making it happen in the programming and in the art design, uh, then it'd be, it'd probably be dead on arrival. Yeah. I also think too, uh, I I think having equal say goes a long way, uh, for artistic minded people, but I could even see this, a model like this being successful, even if it wasn't a true co-op, but it did operate in a way where everyone still got paid the same. So if you still had someone at the top who was like, uh, the, the tip of the pyramid, so to speak, where if it came down to uh, creative decisions needed to be made, they could still, they had the agency to do that. But I just think uh, working for a company and knowing everyone is getting paid the exact same would do a whole lot for morale. Uh, especially when you look at, um, I think it was Bobby Kotick again, uh, the investors of Activision uh, earlier this year said they think he's overpaid. So you get these you know, game execs who are making so much money, like an insane amount of money, and then to have a studio where they operate in a very transparent way and you know where everyone stands, I think, I don't know, I just could see that uh, as far as like mental health for the employees goes, doing well. Yeah, I, I agree. And and on like teams that I've worked on that have had, you know, and this isn't in a, in a corporate you know, sense. This is like teams that I've worked on in my free time to to do, you know, software development and stuff that have succeeded. You know, everyone has a mutual respect for one another. And I think that goes, you know, that's the biggest thing is, you know, I might be, you know, um, I worked on a project, geez, two years ago now, a year ago, I don't know, a while ago. Um, 
where I was kind of the project manager and I was kind of, you know, for, for lack of a better word, you know, delegating a lot of work to people. And people were very, despite me not having, you know, a technical, like, position above them, right? I was telling people, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, and kind of, like, managing the whole thing as it came together. Um, and I think, like, people understanding that they could say, hey, no, I think this, you know, approach would be better, and and be heard, you know, and be like, okay, fine, like, I trust, like, if you, if you feel strongly enough to bring it up and put your foot down, go ahead, try yours, if not, we'll we'll go back to what I suggested, right? Um, I think that that goes a long way, and that's kind of the way that teams with with um, equality, right, where everyone has the same say, I think they have to operate in that sort of way, right, where people feel heard and they feel respected and they feel like the person who's, you know, might be, quote-unquote, calling the shots can be spoken to and saying, hey, I don't think this is right. I think we should do it this way, this way, or this way, and be respected. I think that goes a long way when it comes to this kind of mm -hmm. cooperative uh, process. Right. I just had a thought to piggy off of that. And, and really it, it, I think it cements to me um, the, how, how the quality of leadership really does uh, carry that project, uh, whether it'll live or die. Mm -hmm. And I say leadership rather than management because while it's a, a managerial role, um, your style of leadership really dictates how the people that you're managing will respond and work for you. So um, it, it's the kind of thing versus like, I guess, you know, having somebody in that role where, you know, your voice is heard, it's, it's very clear, you know, try things out, see what works, see what sticks. And the credit for this end product is all of us. Versus mm -hmm. something that might be like that might still occur at like Kojima Productions. A lot of that credit typically goes to Hideo Kojima. Yeah, big time. I watched one of like the many documentaries they did on Motion Twin, and the thing that I like is they say like we, like, um, what's the word he used? I think he said he said something to the effect of like we respect the intelligence of our employees, right? Where he basically says like we trust them to do it right and do it well, and we don't kind of have to have this big uh like lord over them and micromanage them on what they do and exactly what they want like we trust that they're smart people because we work with them and we know that they're capable and it, they produce good work right i think that's the essence of what this cooperative i think the advantage that it brings is you know trusting people trusting that they're smart trusting that they're capable or else you wouldn't work with them in the first place right mm -hmm. yeah that's paramount yeah. yeah. And uh, I think on that note, uh, we should move on. What do you guys think? Anything else you want to add? Great. I don't think I could have been more out of my depth in that conversation. So moving out <laughs> sounds great. You did I, great, man. I, I, I also like, I feel like that was actually a really good, like that. I felt like that was a wonderful talk about co-ops. I think oh. so too. And also I just feel bad because I did say I want to talk about it for a second and that was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so I feel like I've, I've lied to you. <laughs> All right, so in this hour, uh, Dead Cells, you know, it was a really fun experience. Um, I, I didn't have a whole lot of time playing it ahead of this recording session, um, but I did get a, a, a good solid, like, week and a half, two weeks with it. And uh, I, I, I think it just has something to do with roguelikes or roguelites in general, but 
I, I'm not a big, I don't, I don't, I don't hate the permadeath factor. I'm not a big fan of the way the environment changes. I think that at a certain point, uh, when I see the, the, the environment, the, the levels changing and the procedural generation of them, it kind of like turns me off from the game at a certain point. It feels a little bit daunting and helpless uh, to me. Uh, whereas I've, I've slogged through getting the crap kicked out of me in Dark Souls. Um, I don't know what it is exactly about that, but something about procedurally generated environments just slowly loses my interest. That's interesting because that's like arguably the opposite of what they're supposed to do, right? <laughs> like they're supposed <laughs> yeah. to, to keep it fresh. And it's interesting to hear that it does the opposite for you. Well, I think... I think I agree with you, Mike, in, in this specific context. And I think what it was for me was um, the, the core gameplay loop just didn't really grip me in, in a way that felt I, I wanted to keep uh, throwing myself at it. And I think part of it was because there is the uh, RNG, the randomness of mm -hmm. the environments and the items you get, uh, that it is such a balance of luck and skill uh, that like every time I died, I I never dove back in. I yes, I, I would take a break. Um, and I'm usually a pretty monogamous gamer. I I'm not very good at juggling games. I like to play one at a time and and finish it and then get to the next one. Or at the very least, I can do like if I'm playing something on my PC or my PS4, I can have another game going on Switch. But with this, I had to be playing something else because I wouldn't want to be done playing video games because I don't. <laughs> I might have only played for like ten minutes and then died. Mm -hmm. But I was just like the idea of starting over right now does not sound fun to me. Yeah, and so so I want to preface all of my comments um, before this that this game is good. <laughs> like I get yes, why it's objectively like it. good. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I get why people like it. It's wonderfully made. You know, you can tell that the people who made it, you know put a lot of hard work into it and a lot of time and a lot of effort and i don't want to like sound like i'm dumping on this this game is uh on the pedestal of games that i should love and cannot like for <laughs> the life of me like this game goes like hollow knight is another example of a game that i should love can't couldn't get more than like an hour into hollow knight put it down quit this game feels great you know I, I personally almost exclusively play roguelites, um, and this just didn't, it just doesn't hit for me. I don't like Metroidvanias, so I think that might be part of it, but, you know, I, to, to your point, Roman, I never played more than one run at a time. I'd play a run, and I'd be like, well, all right, and then I would stop, where, like, I play games like, you know, Spelunky, or Enter the Gungeon, or Nuclear Throne, the second I die, I go, all right, I need it. Like, there's something that pulls me back in immediately, and mm -hmm. that's something that I really like about roguelikes. That just did not happen for me. And I I don't know if it's like, I don't find this world particularly engaging. Like, it's it's kind of bland to me. Like, there's nothing, like, super unique going on that I'm like, oh, like, I've never seen, like, the... The art isn't particularly, like, super unique to me. The world itself isn't super unique to me. The enemies aren't super unique to me. Um, and again, maybe that's just, like, me being uh, a little picky. And that's totally fine, right? Like, I am I tend to be exceptionally picky when it comes to the games that I really sink my teeth into. 
Um, this game was fun for, you know, 20, 25 hours, but that doesn't touch, you know, the 350 I have in the Binding of Isaac, you know? Did you really put 25 um, hours into this thing? In in Dead Cells, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 25 I, hours in Dead Cells. But yeah, I have, I have like 350 in Isaac. I have 175 in Enter the Gungeon. I think like 180 in Slay the Spire. So like, these are games that like I really, really, really love. Yeah. And I play a ton of, and this one just did not scratch that itch. You've, you've, um, you've mentioned a few games, um, and specifically like Hollow Knight and Metroidvania style. Yeah. And like Hollow Knight was one of those games that just would not let go of me. Same. Um, and, uh, and, and before Hollow Knight, I played like Super Metroid, um, a big that, that like just drew me very very deep into the whole Metroid game design, uh, especially with environments. Mm-hmm. And I I cannot help but explore every single nook and cranny of those types of games, and to an extension, Dead Cells as well. Um, and mm-hmm. I think maybe maybe that is why uh, that I kind of lose interest after some time. I, I I didn't necessarily take a break after each death. Um, but I would give myself five or ten, you know, earnest attempts, and then um, if I wasn't really getting anywhere, then I would take a break from it. But each time felt a little bit more taxing because here I am again checking every nook and cranny, and some of the areas in the game, uh, the environments are staggeringly like I think they're really well done, um, like the the prison quarters, the the, the kind of the story beats of the game that um, you would see those same things in games like Hollow Knight or Metroid, but mm-hmm. they're random now. And you don't know if you're going to get the story beat. You don't know if you're going to get um, a seed that creates a really cool layout that's interesting to navigate, or if it's going to put like 10 enemies in a single space and it's going to be a straight line. I've seen quite a lot of variants of the different starting levels um but yeah i mean just after a certain amount of time procedural generation loses me and i think it is the difference between a seed determining what the geography will be and that um full world feeling that hollow knight or metroid invokes yeah and I totally get that. I think the difference is, like, I think that's also trying to accomplish both of these things. And I don't know how well, for me, that kind of plays out. So, like, I I would, if you don't play a lot of games with procedural generation, I would hesitate to say that, you know, it's the procedural generation that, that is what's boring you. Um, because there are games that do it, ex- like, exceptionally well, right? I oh, no, I think you're right. This 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 instance of it does not keep me engaged. Yeah, I can agree with that because like before um, before Dead Cells, I've played Rogue Legacy, I've played Enter the Gungeon, mm-hmm. and the end result is still a little bit of the same. But they held me much longer than Dead Cells did, mm-hmm. um, and it might be because you, you might be right. They might have attempted a little bit of you know column A, a little bit of column B with regard to. You know some of those lore rooms and um, having uh, the 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 story beats that a Metroid game would carry, but um, the other games don't. And I and to that point, you know, Me- Motion Twin 
calls this game a roguevania. So, like, they very explicitly say, like, these this is a marriage of the two. Um, and, and furthermore, I don't really like Metroidvanias. Like, period. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why this didn't really hit for me. But also, like, just give me the wall jump, right? Like, I'm playing, <laughs> and I come to the portion where I'm like, I know there's more stuff here. Just give it to me. Like That has been a huge amount how do you of frustration get that? for me. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted like I can see it. You're you're making me go all the way down here to find this stupid wall I have to scale, and now I can't do it because I don't know the specific one little place to find it. Like, that's how do you get the wall I, jump for real? Like, I I I never found it. I don't know it either. Neither have <laughs> I, and I have maybe. spent maybe twenty minutes attempting without it, not knowing it was an item, just because in Metroid, Super Metroid specifically, um. It's a little bit more challenging than a simple, you know, jump against the wall and jump off of it. There's more strict timing to it. So I thought, okay, if Dead Cells is kind of uh, going down the path of Metroid inspired us, then maybe it's similar. But I was like, ah, I just can't go here. So I'd end up going through uh, a, a, a side route that would take me to a wall jump area and then just kind of get frustrated at it. Mm-hmm. One really minor thing, I, I say minor, but it, it did annoy me. Uh, I found an entryway to the paid DLC, which I do yeah. not own. Same. And so I was like, you guys put a paywall in your game. There wasn't a paywall in this. And then they did an update and they put that entryway in and then it took me to, to the eShop menu. And I was like, I don't, <laughs> don't want to do that. And it also, I was thinking too, I didn't really care but if someone really was trying to get those time doors that we talked about earlier, like that would <laughs> that kind screwed. of ruins your run. Well, same thing with the with some of the wall jump areas, right? Like you're, I'm running, yeah. I'm running, I'm running, I'm I'm following this path all the way down, and then it's you can't go any farther. Which I get is like some of that, that's some of the excitement, but like, oh, I wonder what's over here. Like when I get this upgrade, I can come back, but you can't come back because once you die, you're dead. Right. And and even further to that, once you carry on to the next level you can't return so exactly uh, until you get those upgrades you just have pathways that are totally blocked off that could give you rewards or more fun gameplay but the game is just kind of you know putting up a roadblock for i would say no good reason well i guess maybe it's a new game plus thing i don't know but i could see the value of that of like after you've beaten the game when you're doing a run you unlocked wall jump and now there's areas you can get to you couldn't go before but it doesn't make it any less frustrating right now i agree yeah yeah and and that is a nice segue to what i alluded to earlier is i don't think you could beat this game the first time you pick it up and that's because that seems to be a design decision because like loot is such a huge part of Mm -hmm. what i imagine the loop is is like you play you get cells you unlock new gear you use that new gear to play more, to get more cells, to unlock better gear. You know, like, there's that element of it, too. And that kind of... The idea that, like, I can't go in and... Or not that I can't. That, that you know, I might not be starting with the best gear because I haven't played enough to unlock it yet kind of already turns me off from the start. I know that I can't... You know, I'm at a disadvantage the first time I pick the game up. And I won't be able to see everything, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, where, like, you look at games, and, you know, I'm going to be a broken record, but you look at games like Spelunky, where you don't unlock, 
like like run to run there's no meta progression you don't you know there's no um, global currency that you can spend in between runs to unlock new stuff to make your life easier you don't upgrade your player but like your your brain just gets better you just get better at the game and that's the upgrade kind of progression in spelunky is that like the more you play the more familiar you are with the world the more you are able to handle different situations the further you get as opposed to you know i have to play I have to grind a hundred runs to get enough cells to unlock cool stuff to, you know, regularly beat the concierge boss or whatever. To rewind just a little bit, Billy, the reason I acted so shocked when you said you put 25 hours in, I, I don't want to sound mean because I definitely agree with everything you said in regards to this game is objectively good and I absolutely mm-hmm. can understand why it would tickle someone's brain who's yeah. into all these uh, different mechanics and the way they intermingle because uh, I had a bit of a breakthrough. Just last night, I got to the king for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was just this perfect synergistic run. Everything fell in place. Up until that point, I had never made it to the actual castle level. And and I never even fought the like the time wizard guy yeah, uh, I'd never made it to that fight, and last night on on a one run, I got I f- I flew past him, and I actually found that fight easier than the concierge, and I got to the king, and then the hand of the king fight was such a just mm-hmm. crippling defeat that I was so at peace with never beating this game. Yeah, <laughs> it I, was like I tried to punch a mountain, yeah. and I'm just like, oh well, this is not going to happen. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to, and and I'm I'm okay with never beating dead cells. But I say yeah. that, but I know there's a part of my brain that will revisit this game because uh, I am actually surprised. I looked at my hours clocked on my Switch, and I just hit the 15 or more mark. Mm-hmm. And that surprised me because I felt like I've spent much more time with this game than I have. Yeah, me and too. I don't, I, I don't know if it's because of that repetitive nature of the runs. And like I said, I, I never want to restart a run. So, uh, but, but I don't know. And, and, uh, when this game came out in 2018, I actually started that year. I started doing this thing where I take notes on, uh, in my phone of the games I played to try to, you know, think more critically about them. Mm-hmm. And my consensus then is very much the same as it is now, which is I, I understand why someone would like this. Yeah. It's just not for me. I find that to be my response to most games I play now, which is like, I totally get it. I just like, I can't. I can't do it. I tried to I tried to play Deadwood at uh your recommendation, Roman. Darkwood? Darkwood, not Deadwood. Darkwood. It's the HBO show. Yeah. I played it maybe an hour and I was like, I get it, but can't. <laughs> I just can't yeah, do it. You know, I'm learning specifically with Darkwood, that might just be a game that really like uh was like hardwired into the pleasure centers of my brain or something. Yeah, because yeah, I yeah. also recommended that to our friend Matt. And I don't know if he got very far into it either. And mm-hmm. I revisited it this year again, and I still loved it. I, I, I absolutely adore that game, but playing it a second time, I was definitely a little bit more like, okay, I could maybe see how this has some rough edges that might be inaccessible to some people. And yeah, uh, yep. uh, we, I don't want, we could, we could talk about Darkwood for a lot. I don't want to <laughs> take too long of a, a tangent. A new episode. Yeah. At a certain point, I think, I wonder if it's like, Darkwood and, and Dead Cells similarly have a lot of influence from uh, games from the past. Like uh, Dead Cells is very much Metroidvania, roguelike. Um, you can draw a straight line to the exact titles that they're similar to 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there's a level with these games that it's just like you're trying to create a marriage between different game mechanics that uh, as you add more and more into that that pool, into that pot, it just doesn't work as well as it did in this other game here. One thing I think could help this game is uh, for people like me who just do, I, I would still like to see the ending. Uh, I know I, I don't want to keep bringing up Hades just because in general I don't I don't necessarily know how fair it is to compare the two games because I haven't played Hades, but I know Hades has what they call God mode, which is um, every time you die, you get a little stronger. And it might just be like 1% increase uh, stats across the board. So that way, even though, you know, you, you lost a run, it doesn't feel totally wasted. And that can be turned on or off in the pause menus. So... And, and I think stuff like that's cool, I think, just from an accessibility standpoint. Yeah. And I think this game could benefit from something like that. Yeah, I think that's a good point with, like, these roguelite games. I think what I like about them, and this is just me personally, are those inaccessible elements, if that makes sense. Like, I like the fact that, like, when a game is the same every single time I pick it up. And I have to follow that flow chart of, you know... Okay, I start here, I have to do these things. If this is the case, you know, I do, I follow this path. If this is the case, I follow this. Like, that, like, weird, robust flowchart that I have in my mind, like, that's what makes The Binding of Isaac so, you know, uh, addictive to me, is that I know the steps, and it's just, like, it's a a satisfying uh, set of steps that I have to... Uh, you know, finish, and then I get this positive end result. Like, it's, it's a weird element of it that I like. Um, and I like the fact that it's the same every single time. What I don't like is, is you know, games like Rogue Legacy or games like uh, Dead Cells, where you are playing to grind currency so you can eventually get to that end. That's just not my cup of tea. I want to be able to kind of play it and, like, that excitement of getting to a new area right and that excitement of you know getting an overpowered weapon doesn't exist in this game for me i think there's a a value to like the distilled game mechanics um like it kind of makes me think of dark souls or resident evil in dark souls you can feasibly beat the game without ever leveling up you can beat the game from the beginning we're like breath of the wild you can just go straight Mm -hmm. to ganon Mm-hmm. And then Resident Evil, uh, you, you can do knife only. You can speed run it. Like, yeah. and, but it, it, all of these options really come from the core foundation of the primary mechanics, not a bunch of different systems coming together to create a, a larger smorgasbord system. Billy, tell me what your thoughts are, but to your point about how the excitement isn't there of getting the next weapon how, how much of that do you think is because it is random there, there's not you're not really guaranteed ever to get a really good weapon yeah but i don't think that they're i don't think that hmm let me let me think of the best way to i don't think that the weapons are unique enough to make that random drop exciting right so sure. if you look at if you look at gungeon right you pick up a random weapon there's some guns in that game that just aren't like anything else, right? So even if it's not the most OP gun that you've ever picked up, like it's cool and it's it's exciting and, and it works into this build that you're creating. 
Um, with with dead cells, it's you know I have a knife that does bleed, or I have a knife that does you know crit on the third hit. To me, that's not different enough in any meaningful way because it just boils down to DPS. Period. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's how much damage does this do? Oh, it has a frost effect. I don't care. Give me more damage. Right? Even like when you think about the range weapons. I don't think of how much ammo the ranged weapons have, I think. How much DPS does this do? All right, great. <laughs> like, uh, okay. there's, there's just, like, nothing... There's nothing that's, like... I've never picked up a weapon and gone, ooh, you know, which I've done <laughs> in other games in the past, you know? Yeah. Or you see an item and you go, oh, I like I need that item to make this a good run, right? There's some... The cool thing about a lot of roguelikes that I like is there are, like, superhero items that make the game easier if you happen to find them i don't think that is the case from my experience with with dead cells right in Splunky, you have the jetpack which gives you full verticality and lets you get places wherever you want right in isaac you can get tiers that are you know as big as the whole screen and just like wipe out everything so that's part of that little dopamine hit is getting an item that like changes the whole entire experience right in game i guess you could say that like the big fault in dead cells is you have all of these random generated paths and those lead to upgrades but when your upgrades really amount to you know a slightly increased percentage of damage or health um there really isn't that much excitement to it when it doesn't do much to change your play style or your build for that run um like the most most excited I ever got in Dead Cells about a weapon was the the frying pan. I and was just was, about to say that, and it was just because it was like a silly weapon, but effectively it operates the same. And yes, uh, my decision for picking it up was it has a high DPS, and Dead Cells could probably benefit from having more items that have the potential to vary your gameplay decisions. Um, based off of what you can discover. Um, and, and that's also why I, I think I probably, I, and at the start I fell into this hole of just using um, X and Y and not my trigger mm-hmm. uh, tactics uh, items because you can just plow through so much of the game with that, that those additional items, uh, they, they were ejected from my mind until I absolutely needed them. Yeah, the run I actually got to the king, I was using the crowbar, which uh, also was kind of tickling my brain the same way as the frying pan, just because it was goofy. And it was, I was having a fun little like a head cannon where I, you know, I was escaping with a crowbar. I thought it was cool, but I only got that far because on X, I had the ice burst so I could freeze people. And then my uh, right trigger was the buzzsaws in the floor, and my left trigger was the uh, gravity grenade. So I was just sending everyone to the buzzsaw. <laughs> and then anyone who got left behind, I was hitting with a, a crowbar. And I did no experimentation. I fell into that build uh, pretty Which... early on. I got lucky picking up those items, and the only time I picked up a new thing was when it was an upgraded version of those. Even though I, I encountered some melee weapons that were technically better, but I was having a good run, and I didn't want to try my luck. Yeah, and, and part of that, like, while we're still on this this sour note, um, I didn't, like, if I found a weapon that I got 
at the beginning and I was like, I like this combination of stuff. I did feel by, you know, the second or third level, I would have to pick something else up no matter what, because I'm using a level one blade when there are, you know, I see a level five blade sitting in front of me, right? Am I really going to pass up this gold, this legendary, like, gold weapon for my starting weapon, even though I have a cool synergy going on? Um, and my, the answer was always no. I'd always ditch whatever I started <laughs> with and pick up, pick up the best thing. Yeah. Um, I remembered what I had forgotten. Uh, and I, and I think I don't, uh, this is a side. So for your editing, you'll end up making the final decision editor, but, um, it could probably go here or back where I remember uh, I initially brought it up. <laughs> this is all staying in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so one of the things that irks me about this game is, you know, we, we talked about random, the, the random number generator, the procedurally generated uh, items and environments and enemy placements. And in addition to that, this game has, uh, much like Diablo uh, or Torchlight, uh, random elite enemies with mm-hmm. a pool of abilities that they pull from. They usually have one or two additional abilities. One of the things that really irked me about this game I had an experience where I encountered one of these elite enemies and it created this rectangular box. Yep. Now, um, this is the first time I have ever seen an elite enemy do this. And I, at this point, I had the basic understanding that, okay, they have a pool of abilities that they draw from just like Diablo. Well, there was no real meaningful information conveyed to me on what was happening. So my initial response to this like blue rectangular box was I have to get out of it. This is an area of effect uh, mm-hmm. attack. And that wasn't the case. It was you either stay inside the box or outside the box. You take damage when you cross the threshold of the box. And I didn't know that. I, um, I was inside the box. I tried to dodge away thinking it was an area of effect. And because I was wrong, I immediately died. I was just in that, uh, oh shit moment. And the thing that really bothers me about this is I had to go online to see what exactly happened to me because I did not understand the circumstances surrounding my failure. (laughs) You just Googled what happened to me? Uh, Yes, exactly. And Google immediately knew what I was referring to. They are that good. (laughs) Yeah, they're listening. Uh, Yeah, please sponsor us, Google. Uh, much love, please, um, please. <laughs> and so, uh, I had to, I had to look it up because the game didn't really convey what was happening to me. And I knew at this point that upon return, I would not encounter this same enemy again, nor this configuration. I'd never had an opportunity to, to go back and understand what I was trying to, 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 to deal with initially. Whereas other games, you you do have that opportunity. So that was just a a point for me that was really frustrating that if I didn't go online and look at what was going to happen or how that uh, specific mechanic worked, then I would go through the game over and over and over again with all of these different uh, elite enemies and the pool of abilities that they draw from without any meaningful counter to that. You know, it wasn't my skill that really ended my run. It was just the complete lack of knowledge of what I was dealing with. And then the follow-up, no way to really understand 
what that lack of knowledge was. Yeah, and I think that's a, a function of roguelites in general, right? Like, I don't think that's specific to Dead Cells. Um, and it, it is hard to swallow when those moments happen, like, later in a run. You know, you get insta-killed by something you've never seen before later in a run. That can be really, like, hard to swallow. So I totally get that being, like, a turnoff point. Um, what I would say is, is enjoyable in defense of that is, like, when that's the that's what I find, you know, satisfying about learning a new roguelite is, you know, you jump in and there's all this stuff and it all interacts in crazy ways that you don't expect or you don't know. And then as you play, you you basically develop a a breadth of knowledge about what happens, right? But I totally get why that <laughs> that's such a, a, a turnoff. Um, yeah, I don't know if it, like, just that one ability or, like, how you convey what is happening on screen so that... You know, you encounter new things and new challenges, which I would expect from a game, especially one like this. Yeah. But um, back to your point on, you know, you can't beat this game in one go. Even if you were really good at it, um, your first run will always end in a single death somehow. Uh, how can I, you know, convey that information? How can I receive that information that, you know, it isn't like Legend of Zelda and Navi going, hey, listen. And yeah. it's not, you know, pausing the game, but it's something in the gameplay that um, lets the player know how to deal with this. And then now your failure is your own. Yeah, I agree. Well, cool. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to add? Do you want to move on to the sauce? I got nothing meaningful to add. Yeah, I guess we can get saucy. All right, let's get saucy. So what we're going to do here is we're going to give our as concisely as we can our final thoughts on the game if we'd recommend it in a scale out of 10 let's do flubber blobs uh, i was gonna say evil flubbers look at that that's why we that's why we do this mike that's why i get out of bed every day so it's gonna be zero to ten evil flubbers i will go first uh i'm just gonna cut to the chase and say seven out of ten evil flubbers uh, co-ops are good. I hope to see more of them. Uh, this game didn't quite click for me, but it is objectively good. And I think if you like get good games, if you like procedural generation, and if you crave punishment, I think Dead Cells might just be the game for you. Mike, you want to go next? Sure. Uh, I, I think right out of the gate, um, I would give this game also 7 out of 10 evil flubbers. Um, and, and that three remaining that are missing really stem from, I, I just feel like procedural generation loses me after a time, at least when it's executed like this. There are some things that are, eh, you know, like the um, conveying what enemies are doing or um, just having a game where after dying, I want to keep playing it. Um, but then the good about it is it's just very snappy like moving around and that short gameplay loop of fighting enemies is super fun. Um, and then the co-op aspect behind the business, I didn't know prior to this and learning about that has been incredibly interesting. And uh, I, I, I feel that factors in because uh, it, it's a whole different way of producing a game. So they deserve all of the, uh, um, the praises for, for even attempting that. Yeah. Did you like my book report? Yes. Good. All right, Billy. Uh, I'm going to agree 
with, with pretty much with everything that's been said. Uh, seven out of ten, Robin Williams. Um, R.I.P. King. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if you want to play a rogue light, I would not recommend this one. Um, I have a list of other ones that I would recommend, but you know, um, it it, it, it depends. It, like if you want a game that is is snappy and and like Mike said, you know, super easy to control and and you like just punching stuff, uh, Dead Cells for you all the way. If you're trying to get into the genre of rogue lights, uh, I would much recommend you play a game like Spelunky 2 or Enter the Gungeon or even like Risk of Rain 2. I think those are all much better entrances into the genre than Dead Cells is. Um, to me, Dead Cells is kind of a game that I picked up to scratch the itch in between these kind of like big pillars of games that I really enjoy. Right? Like I want to play a roguelite, but I I, you know, don't want to play the ones that I know. I played a little bit of Dead Cells, but it didn't hook me like the ones that have like the hundreds of hours of backlog in my library. Triple sevens, boys. As a first. Shaking to Vegas. Sur- <laughs> first out of two. <laughs> as a first in surprise mechanics history. Wow. Bingo. I'm glad I could share this moment with you. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, let's. I want to do one more thing before we go. So what I want to do is I want to go around and I want to talk about another game we're playing and describe the game in five words or less. Just what what the game is at its core and if you'd recommend it. Um so I'll go first. As you both know, I am a big fan of the No More Heroes games. So I was very excited when those got announced on Switch just earlier this week. Or last week, rather. This is a lot more than five words. Well, this is the setup, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to be a little bitch about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Before that, I wanted to play more Suda 5.1's games. So I was doing some homework. And I discovered this game called Liberation Maiden on the 3DS eShop. And it is a anime dystopian mech arcade shooter. It's pretty fun, and I would recommend it. It's also only like 8 bucks. So if anyone has a 3DS and you're like me, we're just itching for an excuse to play it again, Liberation Maiden is well worth it. Mike, you want to take it next? Sure. Uh, lately, I have been replaying Yakuza 0. Uh, it's on a long-running Yakuza series playthrough that I'm currently attempting. And uh, if you've never played Yakuza, I would recommend it to anybody who likes adventure games. Uh, it is a a little bit more polished Shenmue with Japanese organized crime drama as the story backdrop. And in between that, there's a billion mini games and things to do and wacky side quests to enjoy. Okay, so Billy, that was more than five words. Okay. Yeah, and I'm going to struggle to keep it to five words, but I also want to share that I just completed my 100% completion run of Yakuza 0, which took 200, yeah, 200 hours. <laughs> well done. That that You've earned more than five words. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> So, uh, there, yeah. Do you want me to actually only say five words, or should I give it the, the spiel like everyone else did? Well, I think it's okay to do a little preamble of what led okay. you to the game, but then ideally, yeah, you when you describe what the game is, five words. 
Got Billy it. Billy ends up saying his game recommendation and then just the phrase five words. <laughs> yeah. And, and the game is Spelunky 2. The game is Spelunky 2. What 100%. Spelunky 2 <laughs> uh, is I'm going to go ahead and say game of the year. I'm going to yeah. give it that that uh that's my five words. Game of the year for Spelunky 2. <laughs> um, oh, that's good. It's fantastic. It's the the first Spelunky is in a lot of ways, you know, a very complete game and not a lot of people would I think expected it to need a sequel and the sequel goes above and beyond and uh I can't say more high praise about it. Incredibly fun, incredibly replayable. Um I I really am at a, a loss for words in terms of praise of the game. So I've actually never played Spelunky. Should I play the first one or just jump straight into two? That's a hard question to answer. Just jump straight into two. Like, there's some stuff that, like, like Easter eggy stuff that might, uh, like, enhance your enjoyment of the first, of the second game. I would just jump. The, the second one is so good that I don't think you need to play the first game to, to okay. really appreciate it. Have you played this, Mike? I have not played Spelunky, no. Yeah, well, maybe you can normally maybe. get the first Spelunky for like two dollars on Steam when it's on sale. I have seen them regularly on sale, so it it it's relatively inexpensive. Yeah, if if you're just looking to dip your toe in, I would recommend Spelunky One on sale when it goes on sale. Um, but if you want to, you know, be be in the zeitgeist and know what the game of the year is going to be, <laughs> <laughs> it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. It's going to be Spelunky Two. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Billy. Thanks for coming on. This was awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, would love to have you back sometime. Um, so absolutely feel free to, if you think of anything you'd want to talk about, shoot me a text. I'll be back for the Spelunky 2 episode. There we go. Uh, <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Take it easy. All right. See ya.